0: Welcome into Tailgate. Austin Gill here with Mike Renner in Cincinnati, ready to rip it up. Top ten position rankings for the 2022 NFL Draft. Going to highlight all ten. Focus in on some of the key names entering or expected to enter the 2022 NFL Draft. And at the back end of the show, interviews with Florida corner Kyer Elam and Wyoming linebacker Chad Muma. Let's get it. It's tailgate season, Mike, and we are up and running with some new gear. Go to pff.shop.com or is it shop.pff.com? One of those two, we've got some new tailgate hats. One if you're a Georgia fan, one if you're a Florida fan. We're also coming out with some other ones as well. Texas, West Virginia, definitely go check out the shop. And if you're not checking out the shop, go to pff.com and subscribe to any subscription with promo code tailgate, T-A-I-L-G-A-T-E to get 25% off any subscription. That's how you can support the show. Now, if you want to listen to the show, we got a jam-packed one here. Top 10 position rankings in the interviews with Kyrie Elam and Chad Muma, the Wyoming linebacker and the Florida corner. Starting with the top 10, how I'm going to go about this, Mike. Mm-hmm. I'm going to read off the top 10, Yeah, and then we're going to highlight one, maybe two players that you like, want to talk more about as we go forward. But let's first start with the quarterbacks here. Number one, a new number one from preseason at least, Malik Willis of Liberty. Number two, Matt Corral. Of Ole Miss, rising up to number two on our list here. Sam Howell at number three of North Carolina. Then at four, Tanner McKee, friend of the show and Stanford quarterback. Kenny Pickett at five, the Pittsburgh quarterback at six. Carson Strong of Nevada, seven. All the way down to seven. A catastrophic fall. Spencer Rattler of Oklahoma, the backup at Oklahoma, mind you. Desmond Ritter of Cincinnati at eight. Phil Jerkovic, Boston College at nine. And then Keaton Slovis, the USC quarterback there at ten. Let's focus in... And I know a lot of people want to talk Rattler, a lot of people want to talk about you know Corral and the Rise, but give your guys some love. Tanner McKee is probably the highest on your board of any board right now, and he has not played a lot at Stanford. Went yeah. on the mission trip, he was on this show, talked a lot about, he didn't play a lot of football. He said he had one practice with a semi-pro team in Brazil, and then finally got back to Stanford, and uh, you know, Coach David Shaw gave him the keys, gave it to him quickly, and he has hit the ground in a full sprint.
1: Yeah, I would be surprised, I will say, if he does declare because of all those things you said obviously. He hasn't played a lot of football. Playing not playing a lot of football. And because he is that talented. Like when you're that good and you're not I guess that Stanford offense is not one that's necessarily conducive to putting up gaudy stats, shall we say. But he's still been very efficient with the football in that offense. Almost sixty five completion percentage, fourteen touchdowns to only three picks, fourteen big time throws to only seven turnovers where he plays. Like he has been playing good football. It's just that Stanford offense line's not been great. He's been pressured a lot. Uh, he's been sacked 17 times this year. Like I still think there are things that he can improve upon and can play his way into that top five, top ten pick conversation, but he's already risen his stock massively throughout this season. He's To me, his accuracy is some of the best in this entire draft class. You look at just the ball placement, he's just throwing to not the windows that a Spencer Rattler sees down the football field, that these spread offenses see. That is decidedly not what Stanford does. So... I'm excited to see where his game goes in the future all the way up to number four because I believe in him that much from what I've seen so far. Uh, But I think just the shakeup in this quarterback class is indicative of how not good this quarterback class is. I mean, you look at the preseason draft board, which I always say, preseason draft boards, those preseason rankings, that is entertainment. It is the final board that matters. That is the board that, I mean, shit matters. We're still media. It's still not like actually (laughs) a that board (laughs) from the outside looking in. But that's the board that actually – We are taking into account the breadth of what a guy's done in their college careers. The preseason board is kind of still a lot of projection of who they could be a year out from the draft. Um, And seeing the shakeup that we've seen at the quarterback position is very indicative of just the fact that there still doesn't look like one guy that is the guy that you feel good taking at number one overall in this class and even this shit this past week. I did these ranks before that. It seemed like we'll go out and bomb, and we're going to talk about that a little bit later.
0: It's going to be, um, I'll say, a very eventful, fun off season or pre-draft process because of how much this quarterback class is in flux. I mean, there is not an obvious number one. There's not an obvious number two, and the problem is, is there's a lot of go- teams that need quarterbacks. There's a yeah. lot of teams that need quarterbacks, a lot of teams that will be drafting highly that will be looking to invest in the next guy, but maybe there is one.
1: Yeah, so last year's sort of pre-draft was all about the quarterback position because which one do we take? There's yeah. so many. Who's the right one for us? This year, it's shit, do we take one at all? And it's going to be Detroit Lions staring a top three to five pick in the face being like, do we want a guy there or do we need to rebuild this roster more and give more talent to Jerry Goff? It's going to be the Houston Texans having the exact same conversation in their draft rooms. It's going to be like, do we take this guy or do we take a Kayvon Thibodeau who we know is going to impact football games or do we risk looking like you know clowns for drafting a quarterback who just isn't ready to play.
0: And I think the where my head's at is when you do make a top 10, top 15, top 20 pick investment in the quarterback position, you're essentially committing At least one or two years to him trying to get him in a position. If you don't start him initially, you're going to commit one, two, three years to putting together a good quarterback. And then there, it's, it's not every, every year that you have the Josh Rosen situation or the Jimmy Clausen, but Jimmy Clausen was a second round pick. You can move on from him. Rosen's an outlier in that the Arizona Cardinals got the number one overall pick the following year and made a decision at the quarterback position. This year, I don't know how many teams are going to want to draft one of these guys in the top 10, top 15, knowing that. That comes with commitment. It has to. It's too big of an investment to not be committed. Yeah. Am I wrong into thinking that?
1: Well, I think you don't have to commit. Like, it doesn't have to be. It just has been that way. Like You can still, we've kept saying that any chance you can upgrade at the quarterback position, like look what the Dolphins have been doing kicking the tires of Deshaun Watson. Like, there's uh, a- Any minor upgrade is way more important than yeah. pretty much any other position that exists in the football field. So I, I don't think that yeah you don't have to pigeonhole yourself into that but it is a guy that's going to be on your roster for the next three years mm-hmm. more than likely unless you do uh trade away for I mean, it. you not have got to got.
0: hope that ownership or the gms that do go into you know this quarterback class enter with that expectation though it's not like hey the guy we're taking in the top five top ten Committing three years to them, maybe four years, getting that fifth-year option to see if he can actually pan out. Because at that point, you could be like setting franchises back with some of these quarterbacks here. Shall we get on to running backs? Let's do it. Running backs. This is another class where there's been some shakeup at the Mm -hmm. number one or at the top, at least. Kenneth Walker, Michigan State running back, also did a fantastic interview with Trevor Sikama. That piece is on PFF.com. Force, miss, tackle, machine. And you know PFF every year. Our Uh running back one is the guys that create yards whether that's yards after contact or force missed tackles, and also catching the ball out of the backfield. Kenneth Walker, a fantastic specimen out of Michigan State. At number two, Brees Hall, Iowa State, a guy that a lot of people pegged as number one running back in this class. He's at number two. Zach Charbonnet of UCLA getting up there to number three, who had a really fantastic start to the season and continues to have success for UCLA. Then four, Isaiah Spiller of Texas A&M. Five, Zonovan, a.k.a. BAM, Knight of NC State. Alabama's Brian Robinson at six, on Ely of Ole Miss at seven, Tyler Algier BYU back at eight, Kyron Williams Notre Dame back at nine, and then Pierre Strong of South Dakota State there at ten. Let's focus on RB one here. Kenneth Walker was not the preseason RB one. You know, more people were talking about Brees Hall and Isaiah Spiller of Texas A and M than they were, um, obviously Kenneth Walker. But he has risen to the number one status. Why?
1: Well, yeah, not a lot of people watching Wake Forest football last year. So not a lot not going to be on a lot of radars, but he's been productive ever since his freshman year at Wake. He was he got ninety eight carries as a freshman and broke thirty six tackles and ninety eight carries. That's a fantastic rate for any back in college football. And obviously now built upon that sixty two broken tackles on one hundred and fifty two carries so far for Michigan State. And has that kind of all around combination that I think wins in the NFL. That, that makes you believe that a guy who's breaking all these tackles will continue to break them in the NFL and that he's 5'10", 2'10", which is ideal running back size, like versatile running back size. And you see him run through guys, you see him run past guys, and you see him shake guys in the hole. That's like there, He has a lot of ways to win. And so I think you already see him being a bell cow in this Michigan State offense, obviously, with those 152 carries. I mean, 20-plus carries in six of his games so far this year's, year. Excuse me, five of his games so far this year. That's that's a guy it's easy to believe in, what he can do at the next level. And again, it's also indicative of the fact that not a great running back class, that a guy who's kind of outside the radar heading into the season can Jump all the way up to RB one.
0: I was gonna say it doesn't feel like there's a obvious even from you know traditional drafters a first round running back in this class, what's the highest you're taking Kenneth Walker right now? Is that back of date, you know, back of round two, top of round three type of player? Yeah,
1: I think that's about what we're looking at here is even by NFL standards like NFL is obviously higher on running backs than us, but I think no one's gonna sniff the first round in this running back class. I think you might not see a top 50 pick at the running back position in this class.
0: Wow, Wide receiver, number one, Garrett Wilson of Ohio State. He's been the preseason wide receiver one and maintains that status. He's been phenomenal this year. This past week, he, he was just consistently creating separation, consistently making... Big catch after big catch. Garrett Wilson, my favorite receiver in this class. But number two, I love Chris Olave. The two Ohio State guys. Ohio State guys. Whoa. Chris Olave of Ohio State coming in at number two. Uh, Number three, Drake London, the big monster slot. Now turned outside receiver for USC at number three. Then at four, Traylon Burks, another big receiver. What? Six foot two, six foot three, 225. An impressive specimen there for Arkansas. At five, Jamison Williams of Alabama. Who, I'll say this. Jamison Williams... Kyrie Elam. I asked him who was the best receiver he's faced, he said, that guy, Jameson Williams, yeah. big way. Jahan Dotson, Mike. Uh, not, oh, Mel Kuyper's wide receiver one, comes in at wide receiver six, four PFF. The other Alabama receiver, John Mechie, there at seven. Jalen Tolbert, the speedster out of South Alabama and friend of the show at eight. Dante Dimas Jr., another friend of the show, the Maryland receiver who also suffered that big-time injury a few weeks ago. And then Romeo Dubs, Nevada receiver, there at 10. Let's focus on James, Jameson Williams, former four-star for Ohio State, transfers to Alabama, and is having a ton of success. And it wasn't even close for Kyrie Elam. You'll listen to that interview on the day. He said, that's the best receiver they have. Jameson Williams is the dude. He's probably, you know, the best receiver I've faced this year, maybe even in his career.
1: Yeah, and so another massive riser with his play this season. Obviously, two years at Ohio State, transfers over the course of the offseason. He's 6'2", 190, a little bit skinny, but this guy can fly. Like If he doesn't run in the four threes, I will be surprised. The, the guy can cook down the football field and that as we've seen in the NFL can be utilized more and more in modern offenses you don't worry as much about can a guy get off the line of scrimmage if they are fast you can scheme open releases for them you can scheme them into situations where that speed can kill and he can also run fast but then come to a stop fast which is something that a lot of speed wide receivers struggle with and why a lot of you know just because you're on a four three doesn't mean you can impact football games and we've seen that already because he's taken over the wide receiver one role that everyone thought john mechie was going to get in that offense 587 yards already on 29 catches over 20 yards per reception that's just indicative of the big plays he can bring to the table. Before we get to the tight
0: end class, NFL fans hungry for a big win this week, DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL, has you covered. New customers can bet just $5 on any NFL team to win their game. And if they do, you win $200 in free bets, winner-winner, chicken dinner. It's that simple. If Sportsbook isn't available in your state yet, DraftKings won't leave you empty-handed. Everyone can play for huge cash prizes all season long with DraftKings Daily Fantasy Sports Contest. DraftKings is giving all new customers a free shot at millions of dollars, in total prizes with their first deposit. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code PFF. Bet just $5 on any NFL team to win their game and win $200 in free bets. If they win, you win. With promo code PFF this week at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Must be 21 years or older, New Jersey, Indiana, or Pennsylvania only. New customers only. Minimum $5 deposit. $1 wager required. One per customer. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com slash Sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Tight ends. Trey McBride. Colorado State. Uh, tight end who's been otherworldly dominant for them. He's you know racked up such a high percentage of their passing yards. He's been like pretty much their offense. Six foot four, two sixty at number two. Isaiah Likely, friend of the show, probably one of my favorite interviews this year, too. Really good on the mic, a guy that I told I'd love to get back on the show in the pre-draft process. He is a fantastic specimen, a really you know receiving threat for Coastal Carolina. At number three, Jalen Weidemeyer of Texas A&M. Four, Jaleel Billingsley, if he can get out of the doghouse of Nick Saban of Alabama, maybe he can enter the draft. Then at five, Jeremy Rucker, Ohio State. Six, Greg Dolchich of UCLA. Seven, Cole Turner, Nevada. Eight, Cade Otten. Washington, nine, Brett Cuth, Utah, 10, Charlie Kolar, Iowa State. You want to focus on Trey McBride?
1: Yes, because I think I really like the way that Eric Galko put it when he was on uh, the show talking about the tight ends. The director of the Senior Bowl, uh, yep. obviously. No, not the he, Senior Bowl, East West Shrine. Oh, gosh. I <laughs> Be did careful. not just do that. That is a hotly Ooh, contested Eric's area. Eric's going to kill me. Uh, that was bad. I'm um, sorry, Eric, but that – So he put it well where he's like, there's not a guy in this tight end class that's like first round, you know, surefire stud. But there are probably a handful that you want, you can have starting as your tight end in the NFL. But I think McBride's the top of that because while he's not this dynamic, you know, playmaker with the ball in his hands, you will never expect him to be – I mean, Kyle Pitts is obviously like the pinnacle of that as as a prospect. But you're not even expecting him to be someone like a – Noah fan, like he's not a speedster who's going to win necessarily down the football field, but he reminds me of maybe like a Mark Andrews, where he's got such natural receiving ability, so like easy as a route runner that he can get open even if he's going to run maybe like a 4-7 at the combine. He, he's a guy that you can trust at the intermediate level of the field, maybe not the deep level of the football field, but can win at the intermediate level enough that this guy can be a guy that maybe you do take in the second round, maybe late second round, maybe that is actually going to be a value add and can be at six foot four 260 an actual inline block for you as well so i, I do think trey mcbride at running or excuse me tight end one i did not expect that necessarily coming into this season but i've been very impressed with him when everyone knows the ball is heading his way like and how much he can still be productive in that offense
0: Let's move to offensive tackle. It's a loaded group at the top with a lot of names that we've talked about a ton already on the show. Evan Neal, the number one player on Bruce Feldman's Freaks List, one of the freakiest people probably on the planet, six foot seven, 350, left tackle there for Alabama. And then Kenyon Green, Texas A&M, who's played up and down the line for them this season he's been mightily impressive at number three Charles Cross Mississippi State that working project that's finally putting it together this season at four Nicholas Petit Friere of Ohio State I don't know how to do that one that I was brutal dude. I don't ever want to do that again I don't can know what I, kind of, I, can of I, can accent I take it put back? on that is there any way I can take that back Nicholas Petit Friere Ohio State I'm never doing the French accent Just again don't try for it that wasn't an accent I don't know yeah. what that was Kellen Dyche of Arizona State at five, Bernard Raymond uh, of Central Michigan at six, at seven, Jackson Kirkland, Washington, who had his draft stock fall pretty mightily after the Aiden Aiden Hutchinson game against Michigan. Then Trevor Penning, Northern Iowa, nine, you have Zion Nelson, Miami, Florida, and then at 10, the big man, the monster, the Melbourne monster, Daniel Falele, Minnesota. I don't know if he's from Melbourne, but he is from um, Australia, obviously. You wanted to dive into your fire-up chips. Bernard Raymond, who's only allowed 10 pressures on the season, has played a ton of snaps for Central Michigan over the past four years, is playing left tackle now, an 82.0 PFF pass blocking grade. Like I said, 10 pressures allowed on the season and only three penalties for your guy, Raymond.
1: Yeah, he was a foreign exchange student from Austria in high school here in Michigan. Uh, Goes to Central Michigan, starts at tight end, his first two years transitions to offensive tackle last year in 2020 and now this year has a 87.0 overall graded offensive tackle for central michigan the guy can move for a six foot seven 305 pounds you know anytime you see a guy who's like tight end transition you to get excited off tack. you can start to get excited because it's like you don't you can't play tight end if you don't have some semblance of movement skills no one's even going to start you there but then you get to six seven three oh five and now he still probably could stand to put on some more muscle but like He's in the process, and for as big as he's gotten already, the guy can move. It's got some legit lateral agility. Uh, very excited to see where his game goes, and he's gotten better. Like even as this year has gone on, only one pressure allowed over his last two games. So, Ryman is a interesting and rising prospect. I'd recommend anyone who's more wants to learn more to read a great article by Dane Brugler of the Athletic. They did a profile on him. So.
0: Man, that is uh, an impressive background. Foreign yeah, there's a, a, student. It's
1: like a number of prospects in this class. I like that. Obviously, Fallele as well. is kind of like this guy from newish to football, still kind of learning. But we keep talking about it at the offensive tackle position. 90% is can you be 6'6", 300 move. plus and move. Yeah. <laughs> So.
0: I mean I mean it goes back to even the the success that Jordan Mailata has had. A Guy that was another you know, uh, he was also from Australia and like a work in yeah. progress but he was big as hell and can move and you can you know nurture that athleticism. Mm-hmm. You see, you know some of the work that Eric Eager has done how much athleticism, you know that size athleticism ratio factors into, you know, future performance at the offensive tackle position onto into your offensive line. PFS IOL1 for a while now. Tyler Linderbaum of Iowa, also a friend of the show. Number two, Ikem I- Ikem Akwanu, another friend of the show. You're projecting him as an interior offensive lineman right now. But you know, there are you know there are chances that he could still kick out to tackle, right? I mean it's not he not you're not you know, you're not done there.
1: Yeah, I mean I'm not opposed to trying him to tackle. I just think he is gonna be a damn damn good guard Fair. in the NFL.
0: Number three, another. These first three guys have all been interviewed on this show. Is it? Is this collusion? What is this?
1: Well, I mean, we're like, PFF's like O-line central. You're not you O-line news. You come to PFF. It's
0: true. Number three, Darian Kennard, Kentucky. Ironman for Kentucky. Plays right tackle for them. At four, Sean Ryan of UCLA. Five, Thayer Mumford, Ohio State. Six, and Andrew Varese of USC. Seven, Donovan West, Arizona State. Eight, Jarrett Patterson of Notre Dame. Nine, your guy, the monster. Jason Poe of Mercer. And at ten, Dylan Parham of Memphis. Let's talk more about Poe. Yes. I know we talked a little bit about him on the Monday show. I think he was in the Fun to Watch or Take Your Pants. I don't know where he was mm-hmm. at, but he was on that show. Small, squatty, six-foot, 300-pound guard for Mercer, who put on an absolute show against Bama. And all season long has been super impressive, as one of the, you called him, the what, best pulling guard in the country.
1: Yeah, so this interior offensive line class at the top, elite at the top. Linderbaum, Aquano. Linderbaum, the best center prospect. Aquano, probably the second-best guard prospect we've seen behind uh, Quentin Nelson. Like, they, those guys are hashtag dudes. Legit. Legit. Not a lot of depth, though. Depth depth, depth is lacking. You want tackle converts in this class if you want depth. Uh, and that's why Jason Poe makes this list because, shit, the way he can move for a guy that size at just a sh- shade over six foot, 300 pounds is special. And it reminds me a lot of Shaq Mason coming out of Georgia Tech where they ran triple option there when Shaq Mason was at Georgia Tech. But... When he was locating guys at the second level, when he was pulling out in front of plays to the edge, it was like, there's not a lot of guys that move like that at that size that yeah, might pass protection. You're going to maybe have to, or not maybe have to, you're probably going to have to teach this guy what the hell's up. He hasn't gone against or had to take pass sets that are NFL caliber. That's a work in progress. And he's probably at his size, probably going to be a center only with that size, but there aren't, again, there aren't that many guys that are the size of an NFL offensive lineman that move that way, and that's a big part of playing off- line in the NFL. So I'd rather take the chance for talking about, you know, at this point, o- IOL nine on this list is a day three guy. Talking about a day three guy, do I want to take a chance on a guy who's a limited athlete, who's maybe played at a big school and is just okay, or do I want a guy who is a freak of nature, who may, may run the four sevens <laughs> that can develop into something real let me take the chance on that guy
0: i might have to get him on the pod we might have to get this guy in the pod i know he was oh. in your mentions you know talking about you know showing you other plays and stuff
1: well he uh yeah and so he actually ended up making a tiktok about my tweet and then it got like a million views no way yeah and i was like oh shit nice dude Right, nice. that's so yeah.
0: tiktok you need to get on tiktok Mike. no no no, no. yes you do you actually someone sent did...
1: it to me actually it was you do pretty well you do pretty well it was mitch mitch sent it to me thanks mitch
0: all right Kalia Oh no! Sorry, we're going on to defense. But before we get to defense here, I want to let you all know the proud sponsor of the tailgate. Whether it's football success or financial savvy, the right questions help set the stage for winning strategies. Western and Southern is teaming up with PFS very own Chris Collinsworth to share insights that can help you help put you ahead on both your fantasy and financial scoreboards. Want to hear about Chris's old playing days or behind the scenes with Al on Sunday Night Football? How about a need to know for your financial future? Now you can ask about either or both. And every football or financial question you ask earns you a chance to win a catered party for February's big game. Check out Chris Collinsworth's podcast and the Western Southern Instagram for answers to the big questions every week. Submit your questions at westernsouthern.com slash Chris. One more time, that is westernsouthern.com slash Chris. Chris. If you're watching on YouTube, check out the link in the description below. Remember, with Western Southern, you can rest assured on game day. We are on to defense, specifically interior defensive line. Number one, the big man, the monster, Jordan Davis of Georgia. Number two, UConn showing up big, Travis Jones. Big monster, 6'5", 333-pounder for UConn. Number three, Fedarian Mathis of Alabama. Number four, Devontae Wyatt, another Georgia player on this list. Number five, Perrion Winfrey of Oklahoma. Six. Your guy, Logan Hall of Houston, 7. Zachary Carter of Florida, 8. Tyler Davis of Clemson, 9. Haskell Garrett, the older veteran defensive tackle for Ohio State. And then at 10, where you wanted to focus, the Pittsburgh defensive lineman, Kalijah Kansi. So far this year, 14 total pressures on the year, also has an 896 PFF pass rushing grades played over 200 snaps this season.
1: Yeah, I'm very intrigued. So first off, this this DTT class is pretty weak. It is not a banner year. Uh, Jordan Davis is going to get obviously all the hype, but even he is kind of a limited one trick ish nose tackle. But Kansi is an interesting guy to me because he is six foot tall and listed at six foot tall, which means he might be like five eleven, and he's 275. I think he is an intriguing sort of transition to. Can this guy play edge? Because if you hear or uh, Duke Manyweather, who is the offensive line guru who hosts O Line Masterminds and the summit for all the offensive you know some of the top offensive line in the NFL to discuss how you know b- blocking techniques and whatnot, has said that the one sort of body type on the edge that there's really no answer for that guys have struggled with to know how to consistently block is the 5'11", six foot, the James Harrison, the Elvis Dumerville uh, type of edge rusher. The Carl Lawson, the guy who's playing with ridiculous leverage, maybe doesn't have long arms, but is gonna get underneath you and has no real strike zone to hit. That could be Kalaji Kanti because he is an explosive guy at that weight, 275 pounds, could even trim weight to obviously play on the edge. And has an 89.6 pass rushing grade so far this year. Uh, Now, obviously at six foot 275, you are not playing defensive tackle in the NFL. can't you you are not going to hold up to double teams when a 330 pound guy leans on you you just need some mass behind you so mm-hmm. at that size as a redshirt sophomore I, I would be intrigued to see what this guy can do kind of like what the Eagles are doing with why is his name eluding me the Louisiana Tech defensive tackle Milton Williams, Milton Williams. they're moving him to the edge more because of that size because he is an undersized uh, sort of defensive tackle to try to get him in those situations so intriguing to see how he develops as a prospect and where sort of his weight ends up because right now he's in that no man's land of you're not playing the position he's playing in the NFL.
0: Do you think, and I know we focus a lot on um, Cansey there, but for Davis, because he is that limited player, I know you've mentioned before about how how few snaps he plays each game. Do you think he gets talked in? Do you think he is a first round player? Do you think he is ultimately drafted in the first round?
1: (sighs) That's tough. I, I do think he's ultimately drafted in the first round because everyone everyone loves DT the monster DTs I mean Derek Brown goes top 10 because everyone wants that tone setter in the middle uh even if we would say you know you can get third rounders that set the tone in terms of the run game you can get Derek Noddy in the third and be fine in the run game even though he's kind of actually been asked this year but like there third <laughs> run first DTs that you don't need to spend top 10 top 30 picks on
0: Let's move to edge defender. Number one has been the preseason number one for a while. Six foot five, 258 pound. Kayvon Thibodeau of Oregon had himself a game against USC. He continues to look impressive when given the opportunity. I think what how many pressures he have in the second half of Ten. that game? Ten, 10 pressures in that game. Number 2, <laughs> Aiden Hutchinson of Michigan also a top 5 player on PFS draft board, friend of the show, DeMarvin Leal, Texas A&M edge defender at number 3. Number 4, King, Kingsley Nagbury, who will be on the Thursday show this week. I'm excited for that interview. He is apparently Really good on the mic. I heard good things from his coach, Shane Beamer. Number five, Adam Anderson, Georgia. Six, George Karloftis of Purdue. Seven, Drake Jackson, USC. Eight. What's insane to me is that Nick Benito is eight. Not because it's like, why don't you have him higher? It's like how good this edge class is. Like Nick Benito is damn good. And he's already here at eight. And then you have at nine, Arnold Ebiketti of Penn State. Older prospect for Penn State. And then at 10, Jermaine Johnson, Florida State. This is a very deep edge class. A lot of talent on this list. I know we can only focus on one guy. That's the structure of the show. So why don't you give me some more on Kingsley and Nagbury. Yeah.
1: I mean, so deep that no Maje Sanders, no Zach Harrison, the Cincinnati edge rusher and the Ohio State edge rusher. Who are good. Who are, yeah, uh, who are like elite athletes who are like 6'5", and probably going to run the 4'5s at their pro day slash combine. So – that's how talented this class is. And the guy who I can't believe I haven't seen more love for is an Eggbury. He is right now 93.6 pass rushing grade. That would be the second highest we've ever seen behind Chase Young from a couple years ago. That's higher than Nick Bosa ever did. That's higher than Joey Joey Bosa ever did. That's, and that's in a full-time role. This isn't a guy who like Nick Benito... Was very high last year as just a pass, as just a, you know, one trick comes in on pass rushing downs. That's all he gets to do. No, Negbury is 322 snaps already this season, more than, you know, Aiden Hutchinson. He's their guy. Played. And he's been extremely productive. And now he's not, you know, an elite, elite athlete. He's not up there with the, the guys in front of him on this list in, in the edge class. But he's a pretty good, he's a pretty damn good athlete in his own right. He's 6'4, 265. He's got size, he's got length. Uh, I'm just very surprised that uh, I really haven't seen a ton of first-round hype for this guy, but he, at some point, I'm putting him um, in the first round locks. It's not going to be this week, but at Uh-oh. some point I'm going to because that's how strongly I believe in him as a prospect. I think people will come around to his game.
0: Looking forward to that interview. I'm just looking forward to – I think there's going to be – I mean, maybe after Kayvon Thibodeau, a lot of discussion on who the two, three, four, five are because there is so much talent. Like like you said, Maja yeah. Sanders, Zach Harrison not even making the list. Nick Benito all the way down to 8. Like this is – such a good group. Uh, I think the Combine will tell a lot of that. Obviously, athleticism plays a huge part at edge. But I'm, I'm excited to kind of follow that along. We just got after talking you know, about a bad defensive tackle class, it's made up for in the edge class. And obviously, one of the highest-paid positions in the NFL, getting that kind of group into the NFL will be sweet. Linebacker, Devin Lloyd, Utah, takes number one. Um, then you have N'Kobe Dean, the Georgia linebacker, at number two. Number three, Christian Harris of Alabama, Uh, Number four, Brandon Smith, Penn State. Five, friend of the show, Justin Jacobs of Iowa. I think that's a guy that could potentially come back to school and continue to develop there. I think his body, his frame specifically, could continue to get bigger. But he is already playing really well for Iowa. Number six, Can you make your frame bigger? Okay, I don't know if he can make his frame bigger. He's got to add some meat. No, he doesn't have to, but he might. I'll make your frame bigger, buddy. Why don't you freaking figure it out? All right, eight number number six Peyton Willis and uh, Peyton Willis Peyton Wilson NC State seven Brian Asamoa, Oklahoma eight guy on today's show Chad Muma Wyoming nine Owen Papo Auburn ten Leo Chenal of Wisconsin. You wanted to focus in on Nakobe Dean. I think a guy that you thought could you know, could still compete for linebacker one in this class. A guy that is absolutely electric on film going sideline yeah. to sideline, exactly where this linebacker position is going.
1: Yeah, I'm not sure if he's going to test the, the best of any of these linebackers. Really? Um, no, okay, so, so let me finish. I'm not sure he's going to test the best, but he plays the fastest. No one, no one bursts from a standstill faster. No one is out in space closing to ball carriers faster than N'Kobe Dean. He has a ninety point six pass rushing grade so far this season. He has five sacks on fifty pass rushes and thirteen pressures on fifty pass rushes. He is explosive as hell. Beats blockers at only six foot two twenty five. Like he is stacking offensive linemen. Um, Doesn't obviously fit the quote unquote ideal profile at that size for the linebacker position that you would like. You want you know you want linebackers that look more like Zayvon Collins that run more fours than Nickobe Deans, but. I think the Kobe Dean's like not a lot of holes in his game that like the holes in his game are that he just doesn't look the part that that's about it because this guy is uber productive A 90.2 overall grade so far this season only allowed 10 of 16 targets in coverage for 50 or for 38 yards excuse me uh, shuts down pretty much anything in the underneath passing game I, I the only reason I had Devin Lloyd as linebacker one right now is because he has a little bit more of an all-around game has the more prototypical size but I don't think you can go wrong with either of these two guys I think both of them could end up in the first round conversation along with Christian Harris but I think you could see a number of, of first round linebackers in this year's class
0: Hell yeah. Love to see that. Cornerback group is going to be interesting. You know, it's, we talked about it in the preseason, how loaded this group is. You have Derek Stingley, the LSU cornerback, at number one. He's obviously going to miss the rest of the season, I think, with an injury. That'll be interesting to factor into his um, you know draft stock. Then you have number two, Kyrie Ulam of Florida. Three, Trent McDuffie, the Washington cornerback. Four, Andrew Booth Jr., Clemson, and all the way down at five, which feels weird to say because he has been so successful this year, one of the highest-graded cornerbacks in the country, Ahmad Gardner, a.k.a. Sauce Gardner, Cincinnati, at 5. Roger McCreary of Auburn at 6. Martin Emerson of Mississippi State at 7. 8, you have Noah Daniels of TCU. 9, Jermaine Waller, Virginia Tech. And then 10, the other Washington corner, Kyler Gordon.
1: Yeah, it's a deep cornerback class. So you're saying Ahmad Gardner at 5, who very well could be a first-rounder. That's high. That's just how good this cornerback class is. And even McCreary has been so
0: improved at Auburn, and Noah Daniels still, like, a lot of him is a projection. I
1: could see see six of those guys going in the first round, for sure. Like, it is that good of a cornerback class. The one guy who I think we're probably going to be higher on here at PFF is Trent McDuffie because at 5'11", 195, I'm not sure he is going to fit a lot of size profiles, but over a 40-inch vertical at Washington's sort of uh, spring – Uh, workouts last spring only on 49 yards all season long on six of 16 targets has just been lights out people don't talk about it because shit Washington played their way out of any sort of contention early on this season but no one's throwing at him like no one's going at this guy because he is very physical at that size one of the best tacklers at the cornerback position I've uh, seen in college football only four missed tackles on 79 attempts his entire career he is Maybe not a fit for every scheme in the NFL, but I think those new, the new wave of uh, sort of the, the Fangio scheme that's proliferating, that's, 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 that's what you want in that defense. It's guys that can tackle, guys that are heady cornerbacks, that is Trey McDuffie. And so I think he's going to go to a team like that and be a starter day one sort of guy. Jimmy Lake at Washington, the coach there continuing
0: to recruit and churn out heady athletic quarterback. I mean, Kyler Gordon, another one of those guys too, you have there at TAM. Also, I mean, I'm excited to see, you know, Amard Gardner, If potentially the Cincinnati, you know, makes the college football playoff, you could see him against more competition. I'm excited to see his kind of stalk and um, talk to him. Actually, I talked to him tomorrow, which will be great. Safety, Kyle Hamilton of Notre Dame is number one. I don't think that's going anywhere. I mean, you're wearing the Notre Dame jersey. I don't think we can really – any chance Kyle Hamilton gets moved out of that spot? Hell no. (laughs) Kyle Hamilton at one. Number two, Jordan Battle, the Alabama safety. Number three, Jaquan Brisker, Penn State. Four, Daxon Hill, Michigan. Five, Jalen Catalan, Arkansas, the hard-hitting Jalen Catalan. Six, Brandon Joseph of Northwestern, who I'm still really confident in being a really productive player in the NFL down there at six. Seven, Nick Cross, Maryland. Eight, Lewis, Sign, Georgia. Nine, Damani Richardson of Texas A&M. And then at ten, Verone McKinley of Oregon. Let's talk Nick Cross, the Maryland receiver. I think we spent some time on Joseph. He's safety. been on the show, Jalen Catalan, et cetera. But hear me out. Uh let, let talk to me more about Nick Cross, Maryland.
1: Yeah. So Nick Cross is a six foot one, two hundred and fifty pound safety. two hundred
0: and fifteen pound safety. Oh <laughs> man. That. that would be insane.
1: Two hundred and fifteen pound safety, who also ran on the Maryland track team. He's a sixty-meter guy on the Maryland track team. At two hundred and fifteen pounds, this guy can f- he can fly at that weight. Has some massive hits on his tape, is a, you know, a hashtag fun-to-watch safety because of that, uh, has been starting ever since his true freshman year at Maryland, earned coverage grades of 79.8, 79.8, and 77.8. He has been productive, and at that size is a unique blend of physicality and speed. Only about 8 of 14 targets for 64 yards this year with two picks and three pass breakups. I- I'm excited to see if he does actually declare because there's only a true junior. It uh, doesn't necessarily have to come out, obviously. But this guy's traits, I, I just want to see what he runs in the 40 at, at that size, because he could put up a 4-3 you know, time that you don't necessarily see when you are, like I said, 215 pounds. That's, all, that's almost a, you know, there are linebackers That's Jeremiah uso Mola size coming out, uh, and this guy is a real-deal athlete.
0: Pretty damn good edge class, pretty damn good corner class, and also another a, a talented class. Sa- safety class. Yeah. And safety, we have not seen as deep as this year's class in a while. Before we get to, we also want to add our biggest risers, biggest fallers from this past week in college football. Last. But not least, the best sponsor of the show, or I guess one of my favorites. It's football season, baby. You know what that means. It means we're going for two here with sponsors of today's show, Manscaped. Blitzing through hairs has never been easier. And it's time for you to join 2 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped by using code PFF at manscaped.com for 20% off plus free shipping. It's three and out the window with all of their trimmers. Now go tame that wildcat offense. I'm you know, a huge fan of the trimmer, obviously. You have not talked a lot about the trimmer. Can you give me some of your takes? What's your take? It works. That's good. It does. Yeah, fair enough. That's all you need. That's all you need. It works. The brand new Lawnmower 4.0 is here to take your defense to the next level. This fourth generation trimmer features a cutting edge ceramic blade to reduce grooming accidents, thanks to their advanced skin safe technology. The Lawnmower 4.0 has a 7,000 RPM motor. A new multifunction on off switch can engage a travel lock and gives you the ability to turn a 4,000 LED spotlight on and off when needed for a more precise shave. I don't shave without the spotlight on. I need. The spotlight, because I need the precise shave. Did I mention this trimmer is waterproof too? Rain, snow, sleet are no match for the waterproof power of the 4.0. There's no 15-yard penalty for this clipping. Get 20% off and free shipping with promo code PFF at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com. And use code PFF. Stiff arm your pubes out the playoffs this year with Manscaped. Risers, fallers, starting with Cole Turner, Nevada tight end. 12 catches, 175 yards. You, know, you talked about Eric Galco, who is not the director of the Senior role. East-West Shrine, Mike, how there's a lot of tight ends. It's not not, yet. This is a, group, this a deep group. There's a lot of guys in this one. Cole Turner, another one.
1: Yeah. So the Nevada tight ends. Uh, I-, I love his catch radius. He's 6'6", 245. Uh, the guy makes plays over in the middle of the field easily outside of his frame. Just a safety blanket there for Carson Strong that basically even when he's guarded, he's not guarded. That's one of those type of tight end athletes and probably, you know, borderline day two guy. But he's right there in that mix. What was he? Tight end six. He's right there in that mix of guys where there's a bunch in that third to fourth round range. 18 targets against Hawaii, 12 receptions, 175 yards. Didn't
0: find Pater though. But so far on the year, fifty three targets, thirty-four receptions, four oh three, and four touchdowns for Nevada's Cole Turner. You also had Trey McBride here, who we talked about yeah, obviously his tight end one, had another big week, seven for one thirty five. Yeah.
1: Seven for one thirty-five. He now has five hundred and ninety-seven yards in six games.
0: Mackey award winner, no brainer.
1: Yeah, I would have to I would have to think. I, I think we're getting close to those awards seasons being uh, legit combos and tight end looks wrapped up. Purdue wide receiver David Bell. We haven't actually talked about a ton on this sure.
0: show. 6 foot two, 205 and 88.8 or 88.0 PFF grade so far this year. This past week, 12 targets, 11 receptions, 240 yards and a tug in an upset over number 2 Iowa. It was an impressive performance for Bell, a guy that has had a lot of production at Purdue, man. I mean, even in 2019, 128 targets, 86 receptions for over 1,000 yards. Back early in his career here at Purdue, also having another good season this year.
1: Yeah, had a scare earlier in the season against Notre Dame. Bounced off the turf uh, violently, which was actually the same way I got a concussion when I was... Uh, violent bounce off the turf? Bi- violent bounce off the turf. Playing fall ball uh, in high school. And, in fall, and it was like probably 40 degrees. Like baseball? Yeah, fall baseball. So 40 degrees. Uh, Dough for a ball. Caught it. But then my head slammed, and that was like that. The ground was rock hard. Uh, all, next thing I remember was the whole like team standing over me. So that was fun. Whoa. That was basically what happened. To David Bell against Notre Dame, uh, but back now, now eleven catch two forty. I, I, I think that that you hearing that sounds a little bit more impressive than when you go back and actually watch, and it's just like a drag route that goes for like sixty yards, and uh, him sitting in uh, some hitches on the outside that they're just allowing at Iowa, but. It still was very, he still did make some impressive plays down the football field, the deep post route, four broken tackles after the catch. Like, he has got some of the best ball skills in college football for sure. Now, I still have questions about pure separation ability, but at that size, again, that's the sort of winning combination is dudes who are, you know, over six foot, big wingspans, over 200 pounds, can deal with the physicality of NFL corners. I think you've seen that from David Bell.
0: Tyler Linderbaum, PFF center one, 88.7 grade this past week. He continues to kind of cement his status as like the top interior yeah. offensive lineman in this class. Yeah.
1: I mean, this was kind of old hat for him. Now has three straight games of 87.0 or higher, which he's just dominant. Snap after snap after snap, any which way, moving guys off the line, locating space. Just want to throw him a bone because I will lose this. Not. Nah. Dude, Bob yeah. Dude was balling out of control. Super nice guy, too. Loved having him
0: on the show. He's actually, in the bye, went duck hunting for the first time. He seemed like more of a hunter type when he was on, but he actually was the first time he's been duck hunting. Leo Chenal, linebacker of Wisconsin. We also mentioned him on the top 10 linebackers list. He was phenomenal this past week. A former three-star with only two offers, South Coast State yeah. and Wisconsin. Got to Wisconsin at 215 pounds. Has added weight since then. Has now improved his PFF grade every single year of his career there at Wisconsin up to a 91.7 grade on the year this year.
1: Yeah, he is. He was a Bruce Feldman's Freaks list member uh, this preseason, I believe. He's a massive off-ball linebacker. I mean, he, this guy is a horse. 6'2", reminiscent of like a Leighton Van Der at that size, where it's just he is a lot for a college offensive linemen to deal with. 94.3 run defense grade is the highest in college football, right up there with one of the highest we've seen ever. Now, he's only played four games, so yeah, take that still a small sample size, but against Army, was shutting down that triple option attack. They would put him at like a tilt nose tackle, so they would have a nose tackle, and then they'd line him up in the A-gap. And he had two plays where he just tackled the quarterback as soon as the ball was snapped because uh, very good scheme there by Jim Leonard. But he is going to be he's going to be an interesting sort of projection because in run defense, this guy can move. Like, I have no... Issues with him, like I think he can be a plus plus run defender at the NFL level. Now, can he cover? I don't know. I don't think so. Not not not, not at, at 260. Not at the level. Not the level you would want. So I I'm curious to see what kind of role would be his best role because uh, he can also he could end up being an edge at that size uh, and he has a 91.3 pass rushing grade this year, 90.5 last year. Like he two can. pressures in every game. Yeah, he can do that as well. So buying into the athleticism in some way, shape, and form, but he's just kind of limited laterally.
0: Next on your list, Boye Mafé, the edge defender for Minnesota, a guy that before the season, P.J. Fleck, on the show, raved about as probably going to be one of the biggest risers in college football, one of the most dominant edge defenders. And over the past you know, four weeks, three pressures in every single game, eight pressures this past week against Nebraska, an 87.3 pass rushing grade on the year. Also one of my favorite like preseason watches. This guy mm-hmm. is stellar to watch you know, turn the corner. He's also got good burst off the edge as well.
1: Yeah, so he was also a Freaks list member. And I think you've kind of seen, this is his fifth year at Minnesota, you've kind of seen in recent weeks the light switch sort of come on. It it all come together. And now he's still not incredible with his hands, but he reminds me of Josh Sweat coming out of Florida State, where he not only is like explosive, ideal size at 6'4", 265, but he can bend. This guy gets to the edge of offensive tackles and then gets back to the quarterback, which is a big part of – Still being able to win at the NFL level is being able to get under those 6-7 monsters playing offensive tackle and being able to still get to the top of the pocket instead of getting washed past. So he is, I think this guy's pretty comfortably a day two sort of pick at this point. Uh, could work his way even higher than that if he really turns it on like he did this past week with eight Pressures.
0: Next on the list, cornerback Jalen Petre of Baylor, one ninety seven. actually in his fifth season playing there at Baylor up to a 79.2 PFF grade on the year has been very good. And then this past week, the highest single game grade of this season for him.
1: Yeah. Nine defensive stops against BYU. He flies to the ball around the line of scrimmage. So he's a slot cornerback there in that defense, probably a safety at the NFL level with, I mean, he has a 92.5 run defense grade. That's the highest of any cornerback in the country. This guy attacks ball carriers with a recklessness that you just like don't see from corners corner corners do not want to get that involved for the most part this guy does i i think he's going to be an interesting projection in his role to the nfl and what you want him to do but really playing his way up boards with how many plays he's making on ball this season like i said nine defensive stops this past week jordan battle pffs safety
0: two former four-star playing there for Alabama, really good size for battle, six foot one, two ten, and then this past week, highest single game grade of his season so far this year, a ninety two point eight PFF grade, and up to an eighty eight point six PFF grade on the year. He has been stellar and honestly improving two picks in this one and a pass breakup.
1: Yeah, he's another guy. i Just I'm surprised I have not seen more, more people love for. I mean, he is a three year starter for Alabama. Now he didn't start week one freshman year, but made starts as a freshman at Alabama, which ended up itself rare. Um, and is balling yet again this year. Two picks, pass breakup in this game. Has only allowed four of ten targets for thirty-two yards on the season. And he's six-one-two-ten. He is a big safety. You see him close in space, and you—he doesn't look that. You would expect him to be like five-ten-one-ninety. Like that—that that guy can move around the football field for that size. And that's we talk about a lot: size projecting to the NFL. That like everyone gets bigger at every position, basically. Uh, Jordan Battle, already ideal size, already has that. And then, oh, yeah, has the coverage ability as well. On
0: to fallers, or do we have one more riser here? That's hit? it. We're on to fallers. Ballers. Biggest fallers, and you hinted at this at the top of the show, but Malik Willis. This is some burn the tape situation. The lowest single-game mm-hmm. grade of this season, one of the lowest of his career. A 34.2 PFF passing grade, just one big-time throw, four turnover-worthy plays. And, I mean, this is coming off a game against Middle Tennessee where he had three turnover-worthy plays as yeah. well. Just how bad is this for Malik Willis, and how concerned
1: are you? Oh, it's bad. I mean, those were – some of those decisions were atrocious. And then for it to come – so we had one where it was like he should have thrown the ball away and just throws a pick in the red zone. Like that that in and of itself, you don't want to see guys throwing red zone picks, just throwing the ball for grabs in the red zone. That's a big, big no-no. And then throwing a pick in the two-minute drill to try to come back at the end of the game Another massive no-no. You cannot have those in those situations, and so it's not just that they're bad decisions. It's bad decisions in times where you really can't make them. And now, rushing ability, yeah, he ran for almost 200 yards in this game, but he only goes 16 and 28 for 135 through the air. Uh, that's still the more important part. <laughs> that, that's still the part that has to be there, and for him to do that against Louisiana Monroe of all schools. Worrisome,
0: <laughs> definitely worrisome. I mean, with that level of competition, you're kind of expecting, especially if he's going to be, you know, the QB one in the twenty twenty two NFL draft. You need to be dominating at that level of competition, and he's still been really good on the year ninety two point ninety two point zero grade on the year, but still a worrisome t- some worrisome tape from Malik Willis, even yeah. this last week. All right, next follower, Mike Jones Jr. What? Why is he not playing? Why is he not playing?
1: Well, he's a disaster in the run game. Is why he's not playing, and it's. Why he wanted to transfer in the first place. Clemson had him as their slot safety, kind of, whatever, in that defense, in Brett Venable's defense. Um, The apex dude, which he said he wanted to play between the tackles, but they have, you know, Skalski and the other guy whose name's eluding me in that Clemson defense that he wasn't going to get to play, you know, traditional linebacker for them. So he transfers to LSU to try to do that, but the problem was, like, He's still a mess in the run game. He does not. He cannot take on blocks effectively, and so he does not see the field there at LSU. Only one snap this past week against Florida. has not played more than thirty snaps in a game for them this season. And the coverage ability is still there. He can still move for six two two thirty four. But man, he's not. He's not coming out this year. I'll just say I was going like to say, is like a return? To he's school coming situation. back to school. You cannot come out when you've played ninety nine snaps in the season. The
0: other follower you have here is one of the you know, better backs to watch in the country. I yeah. won't say it, but he is one of the better backs to walk in the, watch in the country because he just runs with reckless abandon. But Tyler Algier, the BYU running back, 33 yards this past week was not what you want to see. I mean, you need to break tackles. You need yeah. to gain yards after contact. And when you don't, you're never going to be, obviously, a riser on our list and also um, could be a follower like he is this week.
1: Yeah, so 15 attempts for 33 yards against Baylor. One broken tackle. And now it wasn't great run blocking, obviously that's why he goes for that little, but it's still Baylor's defense. You still should be able to be making guys miss in the hole, and he probably had, I think I counted on tape, five times with one-on-ones, with a linebacker, and, and now he's not the type of guy to shake someone, but he still could not make a miss in some type of way. That's a bad ratio, you know, 0 for 5, to have when projecting to the NFL, because that's only you know it only goes lower when you're one-on-one with nfl linebackers compared to linebackers that play for baylor is that it for our followers here that will be it on to bus watch
0: bus watch whiff watch breakout watch was watch and first round lock <laughs> the wa- we need to get a watch, watch game sponsor. strong yeah watch game sponsor all right bus watch. watch this is hurting to say because i really liked him coming out. i know you did too tc mm-hmm. former tcu wide receiver now plays for philly jalen rager Not getting the target volume in that offense, but also just like not consistently create separation either. They've had to, in a lot of ways, scheme him targets just to get some of the production that they have and still has not been all that stellar.
1: Yeah, he's kind of a one-trick deep guy or vertical tree guy who then struggles to locate, who struggles to like his ball skills and track ball tracking down the football field are suspect. That's a bad combination, and that's why he puts up a bagel this week. No catches on three targets, and yeah, maybe he got pass interfered with on that one by Jamal Dean. But that is not why. That's not why he puts up a complete zero in this game. It's because he just struggles to get open consistently. The third lowest yards per route of any starting wide receiver in the NFL, by only Jalen Guyton and Demarcus Robinson.
0: The other thing, I mean, well, I remember when he tested and he had the bad change of direction stuff. And yeah. I think some people were comping him to like a miniature DK Metcalf and that he couldn't change direction. I mean, his route tree is not very well. limited and that yeah. he is kind of stiff moving side to side. And that obviously limits your ability to create separation. Then you factor in the ball skill stuff too. Going to be difficult to not be bottom of the barrel there in the NFL. Devontae Smith easily taking over as the top receiver there. Philly with a couple of PFF favorites at receiver, not really panning out. Rager on bus watch and then also. J.J. Arthago, Whiteside, the former Stanford wide receiver, bust watch Hall of Fame bust. Tyron Smith, he's back. entering that conversation. You think you're there? He's not. I think Tyron Smith is going to be a Hall of Famer.
1: I think he needs a few more years, but really? because I mean, he spent so many of the last three or four years injured and just not was not the guy we saw in you know the Demarco Murray years, maybe the early Zeke Elliott years, that was just unbelievably dominant and. Tyron Smith, at his absolute peak, you know when Tyron Smith is playing his best football. I think he's better than Joe Thomas, right up better than Trent Williams. Like his tape when he is at his best, he is running with guys down the football field, and that's what he's doing again this year. Right now, ninety-two point six overall grade, the highest we've seen from in his career so far. And yeah, again, it's not a full season yet, but he looks like that guy yet again. That just is going to. You run behind him, and it's four yards with ease because he is taking guys off the ball consistently. He is a freak of nature. And yeah, I don't know how many more years tackle is a longevity position in the NFL. But at his, like I said, at his peak, I'm not sure I've seen any tackle in recent memory that could touch him. Now, I didn't watch the Walter Jones of the world back then. You could say Why they're not? better, but Joe Thomas, Trent Williams, I'll t- t- give me Tyron when he's on his game.
0: With watch, of repeat name here Jalen Rager 21st on PFS draft board in 2020 he's on this list and so is Jamel Dean kind of now, the opposite side
1: highlighting of that, that matchup because Jamel Dean was 73rd on the PFF draft board now we're not the only ones that whiffed on him but he, he has, has such been, a
0: weird frame right I mean that was so much of the conversations like yeah. this guy looks like a linebacker but then he you know clocks well at the combine and people started to get more interested in Jamel Dean he's really you know yeah. he's far exceeded that 73 mark on PFF I board. mean at
1: Auburn I think he was listed at 210. But he looked like 220. That guy was enormous. And, and the way they schemed their defense back then, it, it was just he it was press every snap. And it was just like he had no clue what this guy was going to look like doing anything else. And, and he could be that size because he pressed every snap. But then he runs a 4-3-1, and you're like, damn, that did not match what the tape was. But he probably lost weight to do that. So he was just a weird projection all around. And he actually went 94th. So we were actually higher on him than where he even went. But so far this year, 8 of 22 targets for 96 yards. He has been lights out necessary for them after obviously losing Sean Murphy Bunting and now losing Carlton Davis. And losing Richard Sherman. And now losing Richard Sherman, but he looks like a number one cornerback. Four targets this past week, didn't allow a single catch, had that pick, had a pass breakup. Pretty damn good day at the office. Definitely in a redraft of that 2019 draft. He's going first round.
0: Next on our watch list here, breakout watch. We talked about him a ton on the Monday episode, but Randy Gregory, man, he... Looks phenomenal this year and has been fantastic with you know Demarcus Lawrence missing time like he has yeah. been stepping up huge for this Dallas Cowboys defense coming off another monster game.
1: Yes, and we we'll obviously highlighted him in the last episode, but back to back 90 plus passer grades, fifth highest pass rushing grade in the country, and yeah, it was against some backup tackles after New England had some injuries, but he looks the most explosive of his career. He looks like he's so he came out 235. He looks actually like a legit edge size now that can also play the run which was early on his career was not the case so Randy Gregory playing himself into a big contract extension so is Max At Crosby some point, eligible for
0: extension another breakout we've talked about a ton on this yeah. show but I was thinking well, about you know that extension could be pretty monstrous well Crosby
1: is not a free agent but Gregory will be a free agent after this year he could just get money on the open market as well
0: oh fair uh, last one here lowest pass rush win rate Of any edge defender on true pass sets this year, Jason Pierre Paul of Tampa Bay. Good time to, you know, good thing they picked Joe Tryon when they did. I mean, now just uh, eight pressures on the year, as you have listed here. He has not been
1: what they needed. And a lot of, uh, how much of that, he's been playing hurt though, right? I mean, he has like the. Gonna intro the segments. Washed Watch. Oh, it's Washed Watch. You just started talking about Jason Pierre Paul.
0: Oh, sorry. Washed Watch, the next one here. Jason Pierre Paul, not playing well.
1: Yes. 46.2 46.2 overgrade, lowest of his career. Now he's dealt with some injuries, uh, but it wasn't even played well prior to those injuries. And of his eight pressures, four of them have been either unblocked or of the cleanup variety. So really only four wins. Two of those also were stunts. So really only two wins when he went one-on-one with offensive tackles. Which that's is dangerous. And on 154 pass rushing snaps, that's not great. Almost 33 years old, that's when it starts to go. Uh, that's why people don't like to sign free agents. We're thirty-one, 32, because it can go and it can go quickly. Uh, hopefully, it is just injury with Jason Pierre-Paul, and he does bounce back. But he's officially on Wash Watch, and I, I think we got to rename Wednesdays to Watch Wednesdays with all the Watch. I times. like Watch
0: Wednesdays; that's hot. And I think the other thing we need to mention is that Washed Watch, Breakout Watch. This is you're on the Watch list. Okay, mm-hmm. you're not confirmed. You're not like a lock. Yeah. This is not. You're t- like Same with Rager on the break, you know, bust watch and whiff watch and stuff like that. You're on the watch list here. This is not a confirmed bust, breakout, yeah, bust, we're not, we're, just, we're not assholes here. We're well, not assholes here. We're just realists. <laughs> um, last segment of the show, first-round lock. Can you read off who you have so Ooh, far? Okay, and now, yeah. who are we adding to the 2022 NFL Draft
1: first-round lock list? We put eight locks. We've put keys in eight locks. Kayvon Thibodeau, Derek Stingley Jr., Evan Neal, Alabama Tackle, Aiden Hutchinson, Kyle Hamilton, DeMarvin Leal, Tyler Lindenbaum, Garrett Wilson, last week, Ohio State wide receiver, and now a ninth. We're going back to the offensive line. We're going Icky Aquano. Yes, friend really? Friend of the show, NC State. That's how good this guy is. And again, positional value, yeah, guard, not a great one, but you get one or two every year. And this is the best one. Wow. So Love that. I was not expecting Icky to
0: make the first round lock list this early
1: he's that good man he really is that dominant in the running game and has made those kind of strides and pass protection we talked about it he he just looked uncomfortable after starting at last season at guard and then switching to tackle looks comfortable now four pressures all season long this guy is balling
0: yeah Probably my favorite demeanor of any interview I've done. He was definitely like, I just want to beat people to shit. Yeah, and And that's what you need. How he plays too. That's yeah, it's definitely that. Like
1: that also gets you drafted highly. Mm -hmm. You know, even if it, you can maybe say it's overrated or whatnot. Off the line coaches, coaches in general buy into that shit. So
0: absolutely, that's gonna do it for the Wednesday show. But before you go, actually, we got the interviews, man. Interviews with Kyrie Elam, cornerback for Florida, and then linebacker Chad Muma of Wyoming. Let's get to those. Now joining the Tailgate podcast is current Wyoming linebacker Chad Muma. Chad, great to have you on the show.
2: Thank you for having me. I appreciate being here. For those who don't know
0: Chad and have not watched enough Wyoming this year, this is one of the best you know, college football linebackers so far this season. He's been you know, one of the top performers in PFF grades, also a highly rated 2022 draft prospect if you choose to declare. But Chad, where I'd like to start is you haven't always played linebacker. Going back to your high school days in Colorado, you played a lot of defensive backs, specifically safety, were recruited to Wyoming as a three-star linebacker, though. You played linebacker your senior season. What went into that transition in high school? Uh, Was that where you just knew you were going to play at the next level?
2: Yeah, no. When I was kind of going through all the recruiting process, a lot of schools actually were recruiting me for linebacker. Um, And so for my sophomore and my junior season, I was playing a lot of safety um, and doing all that just because my body weight wasn't super high. Um, I was kind of light in high school, but uh, knowing that colleges were recruiting me for linebacker, that's kind of when I made the switch um, in high school for my senior year. Then I was able to play linebacker that year, then uh, kind of transitioned smoothly into college. And we were talking a little bit before we
0: started and got to Wyoming at what six foot two six foot three 195 and have bulked up to around 240 pounds now what all went into that experience you know what, you know, what was the calorie breakdown how much were you we in the weight room I'm sure that was uh not a traumatic experience but definitely an aggressive one
2: oh no it's definitely aggressive and it's almost like a job when you have to put on that much weight because you just have to constantly eat and that's kind of what I talked about with uh, my trainers and my nutritionists is they would make uh, some weight gain shakes. And I think they were like 1800 calories. Oh
0: my and God. You, drink,
2: you would drink two of those every single, I think the two of them would combine up to 1800 calories, but we drink two of those every single day. Um, and then obviously be in the weight room and obviously just always eating uh, food throughout the day. And that was kind of what went into all of that.
0: I don't think enough is said about just like the, the job you know college football athletic trainers have when you get guys like yourself who obviously have room on their frame to add weight and they end up doing so. I think you can see like Ben Bartsch from a few years ago add a ton of weight with shakes. I remember talking to guys who said they'd have to wake up at 3 a.m., eat chicken and vegetables, go back to sleep and wake up and do these different things. That's wild that you've gone through that. Now at the playing weight you are, do you expect to add more weight? Are you still kind of bulking or are you settling in here and kind of finding a groove?
2: You know, in the season, it's kind of hard just to gain weight just because you're always constantly going, always practicing. But uh, for myself, I'd like to gain more weight. Um, it's, it's, it's still like a process today. I'm still drinking those weight gain shakes um, just to maintain because, uh, you know, practice can be really vigorous and stuff. But I uh, would like to gain a little bit more weight as the season continues and as the season ends and whatnot. Focusing
0: now on the football field, don't got to talk about weight gain anymore. You've kind of had this breakout really in 2019, appeared in all 13 games, made two starts, and had a lot of success in the limited opportunities you had. Then going into 2020, obviously had the COVID-impacted, COVID-abbreviated season, now entering 2021, off to significant success. What would you say, you know, over the course of your career at Wyoming has been the biggest area improvement for you or the biggest area of development?
2: I think just my knowledge on the game. um, I think when I was a younger uh, back in 2019, I obviously had those two NFL stars playing ahead of, had me, like Logan Wilson, uh, and just learned a lot through those guys. I mean, they would teach me every single day of things that I can improve my game on and, uh, just the aspects of learning the game. And so I think that from last year compared to this year, I've been a lot more time studying film and being in the film room, uh, specifically just to know and understand, like, like it's third and five. This is what the offense is looking to do in this situation or. If this formation comes up, this is what could possibly happen. So I think that's the biggest thing where I've improved the most on.
0: And I know so much of that is opportunity and reps, and you've had your fair share in your career at Wyoming, but a lot of that is also learning how to watch film, what to look for on film. What are your kind of film habits right now in a given week or even in the off season that have really you know, propelled you forward from a football IQ standpoint?
2: Yeah, so every week um, around dinner time, what I'll actually do is we have these little to-go boxes, so I'll get my dinner to go. And then I'll just go eat my dinner while I'm watching film, uh, basically every single night, uh, during the game week, just so I can learn about, uh, the defense or the offense a little bit more and just understand what tendencies they like to have. And then, uh, we also watch a lot of film in our meetings and whatnot. Do you ever have opportunities to watch film on yourself or is that more of like an off season thing? I know a lot of guys like to, I
0: was talking to Kyrie Eel, a Florida cornerback recently. He said, you know, he turns on the tape on himself probably after every single week, trying to critique his game and improve every week as well.
2: Yeah. Every single week I'm looking at my film and I think every single week I can learn from what I did um, good and bad. And I think there's a lot of improvement that I could have in this season specifically. And I think it's just always a learning curve that you need to go into it, watching film and, just be harsh on yourself really and just understand that, Hey, you need to do this better. or Hey, this was good. Let's do this again next week.
0: And, and before we talk more about this season and, and kind of your outlook and your goals for the rest of this year, have you ever, um, what are, have you ever had opportunities to watch film on NFL guys? I know you brought up Logan Wilson, a former Wyoming standout. Now also balling out for our hometown, Cincinnati Bengals, PFFs actually based here in Cincinnati. Um, do you ever have opportunity to watch NFL guys and kind of take some you know tips and pieces from their game?
2: Yeah, I think, watching uh fil- i mean you could say you're watching film but watching games every sunday or monday <laughs> night or thursday night you know i like to watch the linebackers and see how they're playing and uh really kind of watch their game and see what i can do better in my game just to kind of correlate to the uh nfl standard that they're playing at and so um i think logan's a great example i think he's been balling out this whole year and it seems like every week he's getting a turnover or making a huge stop or a huge play and so i think that's been awesome but uh, you know definitely, in the past i 've gone on YouTube sometimes and watched little highlights of some linebackers um, and so that 's been part of my game as well, I guess you could say
0: Logan Wilson always around the ball this year i 've had you know conversations with you know linebackers over the past two or three years about how much really the position has changed going from college to nfl at college level it hasn 't changed as much, but I would argue even at at both levels you know it's not as important to be 255, 260 and be this run-stopping two-down player because so many teams are obviously throwing the ball a lot more and trying to push the ball downfield to where you need your linebackers more athletic, faster. That's why you know Devin Bush, Michael Parsons, these guys are running low 4-4s, and that's what you want in the football field. What has been your opinion of how much the position has changed, I guess, over the recent years?
2: Yeah, I think that's the same exact thing. I think the speed has really changed for the linebacker position. It seems like every single year – when you're watching the the combine, just the linebacker speeds are going down so much and they're just becoming so much faster. And so I think that's been a huge part is just getting a linebacker that's able to drop back in coverage and go make those plays.
0: I mean, you even see with Clemson, you're running, you're running three high safeties. They're doing, you know, they're trying to get lighter and lighter on the field and faster and faster. I don't, I don't know if that's going to change. I think eventually you could see maybe it revert back a bit and take advantage of those light guys on the football field. But it has been such a rapidly changing position. A lot of that because too, you, know, you got tight ends are getting lighter, running backs are getting out of the backfield. You have to cover, you know, the Travis Kelseys of the world, which is never easy to do. Focusing more on this season. Um, what, what's your outlook for the rest of this year? Obviously, you know, you talk to, I talked to a lot of players who, you know, their goals are win every single week. And I think that's obviously your goal as well. But if you had to look at the rest of this year and say, this is what I need to accomplish this year, what would what would be first on your list?
2: Yeah, I think for me, myself is just, to, you know, continue to go out and just force turnovers and kind of make those big cha- game changing plays out there. And I think that's kind of the biggest part that I missed out on last year I think you know I, know, I had a forced fumble and maybe a fumble recovery last year and didn't really have that many opportunities to you know change the game by getting those turnovers and so that's kind of been something I've been looking at this year is just to get more of those turnovers and you know just kind of have fun with it and go out there and just play every game. Looking ahead to this week at New
0: Mexico coming to Laramie Wyoming what are what are some of the things you're seeing on tape what are you excited for in this one?
2: No, I'm excited. I mean, last year, they were having a difficult season, and uh, you could say so ourselves, but, you know, we went out there, and it was a game that we were projected to win, and we ended up losing, and so kind of going through this week, we just got to be really prepared as a team uh, going into it and start fast. I think that was an issue we had last year, is we just kind of started slow, and they just were able to hang with us the whole game and beat us at the end, Um, but, you know, they got a decent offense with uh, some good athletes out there, and so I'm just really looking forward to you know, the challenge that they pose and just, um, you know, being able to go up against them and just really dominate. And I think that we our goal for this week is just to create more turnovers as a defense. Fantastic stuff,
0: Chad. Really appreciate you joining the show. We'll have to get you back on in the off season. Best of luck the rest of this year, man.
2: I appreciate it. Thank you.
0: Now joining the Tailgate Podcast is current Florida quarterback, Kyer Elam. Kyer, we have been looking forward to getting you on the show probably since last year. You have been one of the more successful cornerbacks in the SEC, if not all, of college football over the past few years. Continuing that dominance this year, Uh only 83 yards allowed on the season. Really appreciate you jumping on the show.
3: Yes, sir. You appreciate it. Where,
0: where, where I'd like to start, man, is honestly, you know, let's turn back a little bit to when you first got to Florida there in 2019, appeared in all 13 games, made five starts that season, but you were coming off of a you know, fantastic high school career um, in, in your preps career, played both sides of the ball, 97 catches for 1,490 yards on vars at varsity, and also played a ton of defensive back. Getting to Florida, was there any ever thought of potentially playing the other side of the ball, maybe getting on the receiving end? I know you got the size to do it. <laughs>
3: Um, so growing up, I always had, I was always had length and ball skills, like, um, so like, I really, I couldn't really explain like, how I just always had it. And um I worked so hard to, uh, to become more athletic and more skilled at the corner position. But um there was no doubt in my mind, I was gonna play corner and corner only though, and uh, return some kicks. Honestly, that's what I really wanted to do.
0: I mean, you've always had it. I mean, it's in your blood. I mean, you, you're, your uncle, I know, is a former first-round pick. Matt Elam, you also have a lot of other you know, historically great football players in your family. Played a do- ton of different sports in high school. Basketball track. Obviously, both sides of the ball in football have always been that level of athlete. What have you done to add to that, though? Because, like you said, you worked so hard to get to the level that you are now. It's not enough to have this God-given talent, this what's in your blood, playing football and playing at the level you do. Talk to me about you know, the preparation that has gone into this season, even your career in college. And how much you've added to that already high floor athletic ability?
3: Uh, well, really, I just do more than was asked of myself. Honestly, um, get up in the morning, stretch. You know, uh, do extra running uh, on, on my off season. I do a lot of speed work and a lot of corner corner position work with my dad, Abram Elam. But honestly, uh, just just perfecting my craft each and every day. And then I'm more, since high school, I've been watching a lot of film. Like anybody know me, I keep my iPad on me. So I'm like a film junkie. So I guess that's how I really separate myself.
0: When you're turning on the film, are you doing a lot of film study on yourself? I know a lot of guys like to watch themselves and critique themselves. Or are you always looking at that next opponent? Are you always looking at that next receiver on your list?
3: <laughs> a little bit of both. So after after every game, I'll probably go watch the next – the next uh the next receiver i'm gonna play for the week um and then i'll well i will critique myself first and then i'll go look at the uh, next uh opponent but uh yeah I, anybody knows i keep my ipad with me 24 uh, 7 <laughs> critiquing yourself what have you noticed
0: you know so far this year or even in previous years have been the biggest area of improvement like where have you feel felt you've improved the most going back and watching mm-hmm. the film and then implementing that
3: um, from last year, just my knowledge of the game, the game just slowing down to for me. I can understand formations and splits. Um, and to can tell, like, what the offense is going to try to attack me now. If it's single high, if it's single high, if it's too high, I can, I, I can tell, like, I can know what to expect almost. Um, honestly, I just go out there and try to just do, do my job. And then if the plays come, hey, I'm, I'm ready to make it. If not, I mean, shoot, I'm, at least I'm doing my job. And, Hopefully, that my, my goal every time I go out there is just consistently dominate.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, you talk to a lot of, you know, young defensive backs in the NFL, guys that – um, are starting to have success. Trayvon Diggs, one of them, they talk about football IQ and how much the game slows down for them. That's when you're recognizing splits and you got seven interceptions on the season like Diggs does. I think that's fantastic to hear. You're already experiencing some of that at the collegiate level. You've had a lot of opportunities, even as a young player, to play a ton of snaps in the SEC. Over 1,200 snaps played in your career. You've seen a lot of talented wide receivers. Who are some of the guys on your list that you've watched on the iPad after the game and said, man, this kid's got talent. Who are some of those guys that you've had some of the best battles with in your collegiate
3: career um best battles uh I'm not sure honestly like I remember my freshman year when uh Jamar Chase and Justin Jefferson uh they had a spectacular year and we went to LSU to play I didn't really get to guard him because I was because they had uh, a CJ Henderson following Jamar and then I, I would play the other corner on the outside and then Justin Jefferson was in the slot so but I mean I thought Jamar Chase was very very talented very skilled but, um, me personally, I feel like I don't really have a top receiver I think I play against. Mm-hmm. um but i I'm, I'm more sure I'm more like I try to I feel like no one can really affect me besides myself, really honestly.
0: And in those battles, I want to talk a little bit about uh, Florida's secondary and how much talent they produce. But in those battles, do you do, are you a, a chippy guy? Do you like to talk, you know, talk shit a little bit? Or are you more on the side of let the game speak? Because I mean, the cornerback position, it's one of the biggest things. Are you a talker? Or are you not? A lot of people like to leverage that to get into people's head. Uh, where are you at on that front?
3: Nah, when I, my step, when I cross, when I, my feet step across that field, like, I know, like, no, I feel like nobody's better than me. Um, but I don't let people know that. Like, I'm, I wouldn't, I wouldn't come out and say, it, like, talk trash or whatever. But like, if you talk to me. I'll be locked into my game. But if you talk to me and it's on, own, then I might, I don't know. I just, I become a different person when I'm out there. on I field. I don't know what I might say to somebody. I,
0: I I'd say I, the best players do, man. I think the best players do become that different person on the field. And that's evident in how well you've played for Florida this year and in previous years. Going back to some of the names you mentioned, you know, C.J. Henderson, you also say Marco Wilson there, who's having some success with Arizona in the NFL right now. How much of it, you know, how much of the success is derived from just a culture? at Florida, specifically in the secondary. It's one of those schools that consistently produces talent in the secondary in that scheme. How much has that helped you really improve just that competition you've played against or played with every single week?
3: Yeah, so last year, I I think last year in my freshman year, I played against, every day in practice, I played against Kyle Pitts, um, Van Jefferson, uh, Freddie Swain, who's in the NFL. Van was a second-round pick against the Rams. Kadarius Toney, who was a first-round pick receiver so um and a lot of other guys like uh, jacob copeland on my team and uh so like a lot of guys with a lot of talent i feel like they really helped me like i guess compete every day single day so when it, i got to the game it was so much easier you know what i'm saying so like um i'm a dominant person i like to win every single rep but like being like being realistic i can't win, win every single time 100 of the time even though i try my best but um just having those guys um the practice against every day, which really like helped me get a lot better.
0: Uh, we had, I had CJ Henderson on this podcast a few years yes. ago, and then also Marco Wilson. They you, Marco Wilson talks about trying to guard Kyle Pitts in practice. It's not easy. It's almost impossible with that guy. He's one of the special talents in the NFL right now. Going back uh-huh. to your game, specifically this season, I, I know we talked a little bit about how much you've improved. This year has been mm-hmm. just such a wild start for you. Only 83 yards allowed on the season. Like I said, you've only been targeted 13 times. You know, two hundred and thirty-five staffs played, specifically 126 in coverage, only thirteen targets. You find yourself getting bored out there? I feel like no one's targeting it this season.
3: <laughs> I mean, Alabama did. <laughs> yeah, true, true. Alabama, Alabama had did. seven on you. <laughs> yeah, but uh shoot. I mean, do I get frustrated now? Nah, 'Cause I feel like they I feel like teams they 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 respect me, but I feel like um I'll be always in the back of my mind I'll be always aware like they like any any moment like every play I feel like the ball is coming my way. So like I'd be alert, but um I'm looking forward to when when the team do start targeting me, though, for sure, because I feel like I can get my hands on a lot of balls and, and make a lot of plays, but I can't force it, you know what I'm saying, because I feel like at corner, you can't do that. You just have to do your job, and if the plays come, you got to make them.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Going back to, you know, watching film, I know you spend a lot of time watching the college game. Do you ever have opportunities, maybe even in the offseason, to turn on the tape for some NFL guys? Do you have some, you know, specific cornerbacks? I know the Jalen Ramsey's of the world always come up with this question, but are there guys in the NFL that you have opportunities to watch that you try and take pieces of their game of?
3: Um, yeah, of course. I'm a um like I said, I'm a big film guy. So uh so whatever uh somebody doing the that helps them. I will uh, watch it and see if uh, if I if I need to implement it in my game. So uh, I probably say Xavier Howard. I just love the way he plays the ball and a deep part of the field. Um, I like how Ramsey plays with a lot of physicality, a lot of swagger. And then technique wise, uh, it'll sound shocking, but I used to watch the guy across from range. I used to watch Darius Williams because he's a smaller kind of guy, but he played with a lot of great technique. So that's that's t- kind of what I kind of pride myself on: playing with great te- technique at the line of scrimmage. And also, uh, you know, being a ball hawk and then with my length and uh, physicality, I like to come up and tackle as well. So,
0: Yeah, one of the better tackling cornerbacks in, uh, in college football. I'm glad you brought up Darius Williams. He's another guy that even dating back to his days at co- in college has always graded really well for PFF because of that technique he plays with. He you know, outperforms his size, outperforms his athleticism, largely because he is that, that film junkie you speak to as well. Um, Go back to that mm-hmm. Bama game. You know there's that you know, that transfer from Ohio State. You had an opportunity to go against him a couple reps. Jamison Williams. Your mm-hmm. thoughts on his game, his speed, what he brings to the table?
3: Uh, I think he's electric. Um, I feel like he might actually be probably the best receiver I, I guard in college football. Honestly, mm-hmm. um, I don't did he catch a ball on me? I don't. I think he I think he got one. That's what we charged you with. But I have to go back and watch the tapes confirm. Oh, okay. That might have been his own, but I feel like, but I, I definitely think he, I think definitely he, he's probably, probably the top point I've ever played against. I feel like he's, he's a good receiver, Um, honestly. Uh, just, just not even at just his speed. Like he, you can tell he definitely is uh, super competitive and, and has a good knowledge for the game. Um, But uh, yeah, I think he's pretty good. I think he's electric.
0: You know, looking forward to, you know, the rest of the season. I see this game coming up. You have an opportunity to go against a really talented football team against Georgia. They've been, you know, the talk of college football this year. It's hard to ignore it. You know, you can say you you turn off Twitter, you don't go online. This is a team that obviously is number one in the country with a ton of talent on both sides of the ball. What are you most looking forward to going into this matchup?
3: Against Georgia? Yeah. (laughs) Just compete my behind off. And, you know, like my ultimate goal every single game is to win the game, first of all. Yeah. And secondly, it's just to, to go out there and do my job to the best of my abilities and make and make the plays that come my way and just to be physical and and um just be physical and play with great technique. But just number one win. Number two, just yeah, like I said, just go out there and do my job and you yeah, know, put on a show honest.
0: Absolutely. We can finish here, Kyrie. Really appreciate the time. I know you brought up that goal with Georgia and I think your goal every single week, rightfully so, is to win the game. What, what do you have any personal goals set for yourself to close out the season? Are you got anything on your chalkboard or your notes app at home where you're saying this is what I need to get done this year, or is it as simple as win every week?
3: Uh, just consistently dominate, honestly. Just like like I said, like I don't like when a person catches a uh, throws a pass at me, let alone let a person catch a ball. But like at corner, like sometimes you're in a zone or something, you might have to give some up. So, um, but honestly, I like to consistently dominate. So that's that's my goal for the rest of the year. Just when you cut on the tape, you see Kyrie out there dominating. What we going against?
0: Hell yeah, man! Well, I really appreciate the time, and I wish you the best of luck the rest of the season.
3: Yes, sir. You as well.
0: Boom! Put a pin in it. Wednesday. Watch Wednesdays out of the mix here. We went over the top 10 position rankings as well. Make sure you rate, review, and subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcast: Apple, Spotify, Google, wherever you get your podcast. Make sure to do that. Help support the show. Also use promo code TAILGATE at PFF.com to get any subscription for 25% off. Until next time, Austin Gale, Mike Renner, Producer Stone, Producer Quinn, Producer Max Chadwick, David Zofaro, TAILGATE.